Welcome to Live Courageously, podcast show number 16 of 2022. I chose the title of uh, Live Courageously because that has been the uh, conscious theme of my life for the last two years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. And it's been an unconscious theme of most of my life. And if you haven't seen the previous 15 podcasts that I've done with some of my amazing friends sharing their powerful stories of overcoming all odds and going on to live their best lives, you can watch them on my John Duffy YouTube channel. So I recommend you check them out. And if you got nothing else to do, binge watch them. It's better than Netflix, trust me. And you'll get a free dose of inspiration and courage and meet some amazing, courageous uh, friends of mine. So interestingly, since I started this podcast show, I keep meeting and becoming friends with some even more courageous people to have on the show in the future. So stay tuned to meet some of the great people in my life every week. I'm going to attempt to do two shows every Sunday, um, and I may have to pause a little bit as I'm heading out to do a feature film uh, uh, pretty soon uh, for about eight weeks. So we'll see how I, that one goes. I'll keep you posted. But what this show is about is about faith over fear. I believe fear is just a reaction, but courage is a choice. And I suggest you need to consciously choose courage to get through life and to deal with what life may throw at you in the future. I recently came from a, a real short business trip, uh, got off the plane today, and I spent uh, two hours on the plane. My uh, person who sat next to me in the seat was in the Marine Corps and is in the Marine Corps for 20 years. And we had a long conversation about his life, his activity, and once again, talking about courageous people that I keep meeting. Um, he's somebody who also uh, exemplifies courage. So it was a great conversation on the plane before I came here to do the show. Um, there's many types of courage. And today, uh, my guest embodies many different types of courage, as you're going to see as we begin the conversation with him. So today, I encourage everybody who's watching this to adopt the spirit of courage in the face of any and all fears. So let me introduce you today to my guest and friend, Lieutenant Colonel Ed Reynolds or Edward Ed Reynolds Jr. Um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Reynolds is U.S. Air Force retired and has a long and varied career. For 22 years, his service included uh, being a navigator on an air refueling and uh, tank in refueling tankers, um, a missiles targeting officers for MIRVs, which are multiple independently targetable reentry vehicle. Uh, also an intelligence advisor to the Vietnam Air Force and an action officer for six years in the Pentagon. There, Ed introduced computer terminals uh, to the air staff and managed the U United States Air Force aircraft inventory database. Ed is over 5,000 flying hours, which is just, uh, just mind-boggling to me, including over 640 combat hours in 147 combat missions. Just kind of want to take a pause on that. I mean, that's just there alone, the courage of all that. And that just is just part of his life. Following his service in the Air Force, uh, he worked as an international IT management consultant at United Airlines, at SRI International, and for several other defense contractors. Ed formed service management consulting groups for companies before focusing on traveling the world. Now it gets even uh, even more wild. Ed is one of only 110 people. Take that in, there's billions of people on this planet, only 110 people who have known to have visited every country in the world. 
Ed completed visiting all of the 193 United Nation company, uh, countries in the year 2014. One of the top 50 most traveled people in the world and on the list that records world travel. Ed currently leads a Monday morning meeting for a group Wings Over Wendy's that we're going to talk about, where over 300 uh, veterans meet weekly and have for many, many years at the at, uh, originally at the Wendy's restaurant in West Hills, and now they've moved to a public school in the Valley as well. We'll talk about that. Ed is also an author and uh, wrote and self-published two books in 2021, one entitled Do Not Travel There, Tourist Travel in the Department of State Level Four Countries, and you probably ain't going to understand that, what that is, but he will explain that to uh, all of us. And the second um, book that Ed wrote was The Making of Mr. Woodstock, a memoir of the artist and poet Robert Dupuy Reynolds, Ed's brother. So I'd like to welcome today my friend and um, Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Ed Reynolds. Welcome, Thank Ed. You. Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Now I don't have anything left to say. Uh, <laughs> I, I hey. could just start, though, by well, saying- you can, start, you can start all over and hit the other, uh, all every country in the world next week. Right. Well, we don't have enough time this afternoon. But the, 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 the first thing I want to comment on is I, I think I'm unique in this. I've never experienced fear. I don't, and I, I have a hard time relating to other people that are fearful of things. Uh, you can't really be um, a, a fly in some of the planes that I flew in if you had fear, because you never knew when you uh, went out there whether you're going to get back safely. And, uh, and you couldn't bebop around Vietnam the way I did as the uh, intelligence advisor to the VNAF, where I had to, to visit every uh, location that, that uh, the Vietnamese Air Force had, plus all the ones the Air Force had in, in Thailand uh, to learn uh, any good practices to recommend to, to the Vietnamese Air Force. So you, you, you can't be fearful of, of these things. You, you don't, it's not like, you know, when you go to combat on the ground and you know you're going into a firefight because uh, the way I was traveling, it would be a total surprise. You know, we would land and find holes in the plane that weren't there when we took off and, and we, you know, you just couldn't be fearful of, of, uh, of these types of things. And that carries over into so many other going to all the countries in the world. Um, there, some of them were very difficult to get into. Uh, as I've written in, uh, in, in my book, uh, <clears throat> Do Not Travel There. Uh, oh, yeah, where. we're going get, to get to that in a minute. Hey, Ed, let me yeah. ask you a question with that. So you're saying, and, and I'd like to take you back to your youth as, to, as a, a, a young person, and then why you joined the uh, Air Force. But that, that attitude that you did not have fear was something you had as a young, a young man. And then you took that into the military. Why? What was that about you that you were like? And what took you into I don't, I don't know. Just, just, it, I just, 
I can't define fear and I just don't, uh, you know, go to the top of the Empire State Building. People didn't want to lean over. Uh, they were fearful, uh, even though you know that you're safe. But I couldn't relate to that. So even growing up, when people will say, well, I'm afraid of doing this. I'm afraid to get in that boat. I'm afraid to swim out there. There might be a shark or something like that. I said, what are you talking about? I, 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 I don't know how to define it. So, um, so you, uh, you obviously did, did not. And, and for some people, it's about overcoming fear. But in your case, you, you basically just had an attitude where, you know, you were willing to go forward and you didn't feel the fear. You just right. basically, and so that's, that was a unique characteristic of who you are and were. Um, and that, you know, for people who don't know, I mean, when you were flying those planes and let's go, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around and do it a little bit differently this time. But as you were flying those planes in, in Vietnam and on all those missions, you know, we're not talking about the technology we have today. This is the technology we had back then, which was different, too. So it was, you know, I mean, for you to go on all those missions, there was danger, there was risk, whether you felt it or not, it was clearly there. And yet, you know, you, you were courageous and you were somebody who went into it with that attitude because it was what you did. It was who you were as a pilot and a thing. Explain a little bit of that to the audience, because a lot of what I want people to do is when you meet people, I meet people like you who I think are a role model of being courageous and being adventurous. I want to learn from that because I think that's how we learn to do those kind of things in our life. So tell us, a, tell us a little bit about that in your a pilot and error. error in well, the, it, that was. Yeah. So I was, <clears throat> I wasn't actually the pilot. I was the navigator telling right. the pilot, <laughs> telling the pilots where to go. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I told them <laughs> the wrong direction that, that, that it's on me that we get shot at. But uh, the uh, the point is that that I just um, <clears throat> uh, volunteered and and went out of my way uh, when I when I got assigned to Vietnam. I I had a um, a, a top secret ESI expanded background check clearance from my missile targeting. Uh, days at SAC headquarters, and they said, uh, well, first of all, I wasn't supposed to go to Vietnam because of the clearance. Uh, I was supposed to just get my ticket punched over in Thailand, and I begged uh, a colonel uh, that I knew in Saigon to get transferred to Vietnam, and then it was at the very last minute that they had this vacancy to uh, work with the Vietnamese, and then I said, oh, I, I said, yeah, okay, I, that'll be interesting. And uh, and then when I started finding out about it, I, I went to the general and said, you know, I've got this clearance and I'm not supposed to be traveling around uh, in, the, in the country, uh, but I can't really do my work without traveling around there. And he says, <clears throat> yeah, technically... I'm not supposed to allow you to do that with that clearance, but uh, uh, if you're not afraid, I'm not afraid, and 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 go and do that. You know, uh, uh, you can go get a cyanide pill issued at the pharmacy, but I didn't do that. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not supposed to speak uh, about all those secrets, 
but I, <clears throat> I'm dyslexic and um, uh, I, uh, I wouldn't have been able to spill a lot of beans anyway, because I couldn't, I couldn't explain the names of the Russian cities or the Chinese cities that we were targeting. So if they were trying to say, what, what's the, the, uh, the U.S. plan to bomb our country, uh, I'd say, well, yeah, I know Moscow. Well, everybody knows that we're going to bomb Moscow. I can pronounce that. But all those other countries, I still can't pronounce them. Even when I travel to them uh, in my world travels, you know, like I took the uh, the, the train um, across across Russia, and, and and we kept getting off at, at all these places that I, in retrospect, targeted years ago. Uh, but uh, I still can't pronounce the names. <laughs> well, here's the thing, too. You know, I I met somebody this weekend who, uh, for those who don't know, and I didn't know. But what you just talked about, Ed, about uh, that you weren't supposed to be there because of your security clearance. And he told me he was the same. In his case, he wasn't shipped over uh, to the war zone because of that. And he said the reason, which you know was news to me, was because you had too much valuable information, or at least they believed you did. So if you were captured, that was why they didn't want you in that thing. That's correct, right? But you, right. Talked, yeah. you talked your way into it, and you ended up there. And what does that mean? You were trained in the Vietnamese uh, Air Force. In what capacity and, and what did you do with them? Uh, well, uh, I was the interface between the Vietnamese and the U.S. So it's a, our group uh, was actually stationed out of uh, uh, Washington, D.C. So we weren't reporting to anybody in uh, outside of our own little group which was led by a two-star general, but we weren't part of 7th Air Force or, or PACAF or MACV or any of that um, Army and Air Force structure in Vietnam. We were, <clears throat> we were supposed to be the advisors to the Vietnamese, and that really meant um, the interface to represent them with the U.S. forces. And, and to get things for them uh, because it was during the Nixon drawdown. And I really believed in that of turning the war over to them. So what I was- year, what, year, what years was that in? It was 72. 72, okay. So uh -huh. I, was turn, I was doing everything to make them self-sufficient. Now, the irony of it is that my the, the colonel that I was advising, he outranked me um, and he had been uh, not only attended all the U.S. intelligence schools in the Army and the Air Force, but he also spent a year in, in Colorado teaching at the Air Force Intelligence School. So he wow. knew intelligence from top to bottom. He lived out his whole life. So how am I going to advise him on being in tech? So he said, don't worry about it, Ed. I'll take care of you, you know. <laughs> And he, uh, still a great friend. Um, on my 80th birthday, I was in Washington, D.C. and had dinner with him. He's still alive um, in, in Washington, spent 25 years with EDS uh, and uh, a great, great individual. But, uh, you know, going back to 
the original theme. It's just that I didn't, I didn't show fear and I didn't use that as a cop-out to say, oh no, I can't go on that mission. And I actually go the opposite. I volunteered to fly with the Vietnamese themselves. We, I flew in into Cambodia. We weren't supposed to be in Cambodia, but I'm, I'm not with a U.S. plane. I'm with the Vietnamese crew uh, as, uh, to be able to report back. This is what the Vietnamese do on their missions. And I flew in on their missions to, to adequately uh, determine whether they, there were improvements that they could make that I could help them make those improvements. How, how how rare was that uh, 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 for an American like you to do something like that? How well, rare? I mean, um, the advisory group actually been around since uh, the beginning with uh, under, they were the first people to go over there were advisors uh, back in the early 60s. Uh, but um, a, a lot of them were, were, by the time I got there, were just paper pushers and uh, they didn't they didn't volunteer to to go out in the field unless they absolutely had to or or to, to fly with the Vietnamese unless they absolutely had to. There was there was a, a few of us that that had no fear and lived courageously. And, and the Vietnamese really appreciated that because we really did um, get involved with them and, and, and felt their pain. And, 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 uh, you know, and I, I often went to, uh, 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 Vietnamese functions. I'd be the only Caucasian there, you know, and, and uh, fortunately most of their intelligence officers had, uh, been trained in the U S so they all spoke English, you know, so I wasn't, uh, uh I did carry a, a, around a lot of the time, a, a sergeant who had been trained in, in the Vietnamese language. And I didn't tell them that he understood Vietnamese. So they'd give me these briefings and then he'd tell me what they were saying backstage, you know, uh, um, that, you know, so I knew who, who was BS and me and who wasn't in my reports, you know. And, and you flew 147 combat missions. What, over what period of time and, and, and Give give us some perspective on that too. Yeah, I mean that's a lot. That seems like a lot of missions to me. As a well, student. a lot of those started in the air refueling business. When I first went over in the '60s, I uh, <clears throat> uh, was stay, uh, temporarily based in in Okinawa, and I would fly on the the missions that refueled the B-52s that were flying out of Guam. So, um, and then uh, I would uh, pick pick missions specifically to travel. I've had this bug of traveling all the time. And so I had the choice. I could go on a mission that, that went out there, refueled and came back in to Okinawa or one, one flight every day uh, would go on to the Philippines and stay there until the B-52s were coming back and just in case they needed to be refueled on their return to Guam. So sometimes I take that mission and the other times I take the mission where the guys would go on to Thailand after refueling the B-52s. And so I spent 
and and so as soon as you get over the Vietnamese air, area, uh, then it becomes combat hours. And then all the hours in Vietnam that I flew all over the place were, were considered combat hours. And like I mentioned earlier, you could get shot at and, and, you know, you'd see the fire coming up from the ground. And I just was knock on wood lucky enough that, that it didn't hit us and shoot us down. Uh, so that's, so, so it's not the same kind of, uh, combat hours that, that say the F4 guys that were striking North Vietnam, where they knew they were going to be, um, uh, Sam shot at them and everything. And, and they'd just be lucky that they got back alive. It wasn't that kind of an, uh, missions. We were supposed, we were transport planes, you know, I flew it, uh, and helicopters, uh, uh, doing hops in between the different bases. And that was all considered combat time because you could get shot at, you know, I got, I got wounded in, in uh, one mission over there. Uh, but they didn't give me a purple heart because, uh, I was, the, the wound was because my plane was exiting, um, uh, our, our orbiting point and our relief plane that was supposed to pick up the orbit uh, came in at the wrong altitude and we almost had a mid-air collision and our plane dropped down and I was the uh, staff officer. So I went in his seat and I went up into the ceiling and gashed my head open. And, mm. and uh, it was over enemy territory. And the doctor that treated me says, you're eligible for the, uh, the purple heart, but, but, uh, when we put in the paperwork, they said, no, uh, aircraft accidents, uh, you know, if you're hurt inside the plane without it being a bullet, um, you know, so that that's the same as if the, if a fighter pilot was, uh, trying to dodge a Sam and hit his helmet on the side of the, uh, cockpit and, and, uh, and injured himself. They don't give them a purple heart for that unless, you know, a, a piece of the Sam explosion came in. Got so, it. Yeah, you know. so, so after that, uh, you know, you come back and, and you mentioned, and we'll talk about too when, when we talk about you writing as being dyslexic, but um, you come back out of uh, Vietnam and you're working in the Pentagon and you introduce computer terminals to the air staff there, which yeah. you know nowadays is like for for a lot of us and and people who are in this area, you're like, really? I mean, they yeah. didn't have they didn't have computer terminals. Right. When so, I went into the Air Force in in 1950s, there were there weren't any operational computers in the Air Force. About the first year that I got in, they they came up with uh, um, the first uh, computer terminals for air defense um, and and they built these big uh, ray domes all over the coast which are still of them uh, still are there today in a lot of places like out of Cape Cod and stuff um, and then they came in about the second year I was in the Air Force they they got a small IBM computer well no they weren't small 
where they got an IBM computer to come in and do the the, the supply uh, logistics support. So it wasn't until the middle of the 60s that the that I I even knew saw a computer. It was always in the back office. But when I got to SAC headquarters, uh, I had to get trained on computers uh, because the MERV missile um, can't be targeted by by just drawing a string on a map because it, 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 it if they were carrying three warheads. So if you wanted to go to Camp uh, Crimea, as an example, you had to drop the first two warheads off in 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 uh, in St. Petersburg in order to get the range for the third one to go all the way down to the Black Sea. You know, so that was a co big computer problem that I started working with with TRW on, um, and and we were using a CRT, uh, and everybody else was using key punch. And when I got to the Pentagon, they ran what they called budget exercises. And the the action officers had to fill out um, creation sheets. And, and, and I had a, had a young lady that, that sat in a, in a vault and she'd get the, that and, and she'd type it in uh, and it would go down to the computer and um, it would take then the next day, I had to deliver the printouts to the guys and they'd say, and say oh, hey, hey, she marked that up wrong. You know, it took three days to do one exercise. So I went to the general and I said, you know, they've got this thing called CRTs where they don't have to fill out forms. You can just fill it out on the screen and then it comes goes down there right away. And you could cut three days down to one. And he, how much is it going to cost? And I told him, and he says, do it, Reynolds, do it. So I got the air staff to put these things in. And then the budget guy said, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do it over in budget. And so then uh, we rolled it out in the budget. Now, five years later, the PCs, we're talking late 70s. You know, so when I got out in 79 and went to work for United Airlines, uh, it was in Silicon Valley and then, and, uh, you know, San Francisco. And and they were just coming up with the Apple computer. And I actually sold uh, part time. I was a part time salesman for for the Apple II computer uh, wow. at the time because I was convinced that. I wrote a paper in 1969 that predicted that every home would have CRTs like their TV set and that they'd be able to get, they could sit in a home and access the library, every book in the world. And the, the professor gave me an F for the idea. He <laughs> thought that was, that was too wild an idea that would never happen. And now, was that the same professor that said Federal, FedEx was never going to happen to? Right, right. And 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 they got it. They got it. <laughs> but he's also the same guy that was an active duty colonel um, teaching night school. 
Huh. And they sent him to Thule. <laughs> he wasn't the brightest <laughs> guy in the group. <laughs> but you, but you saw some of that. Obviously, bringing C, bringing CRT into the Pentagon, bring you know, seeing that um, with Apple, seeing that the computers were going to be, you know, um, in everyone's house. I mean, you had that advanced vision of that uh, because of what what you did, um, and then you worked in you know coming out of the military in it with all these defense defense contractors united airlines sri so you i mean you were working on a pretty uh yeah i it it, it i should i should be wealthier because <laughs> i got in underground for, i had all these ideas but i never as an example i wrote a, a a spreadsheet when i was in the pentagon like excel you know i never thought of commercializing it right but i used it for 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 our own office work. I, I'm, you, you know, where the term help desk, I implemented the first commercial help desk that was, was based on, on, uh, uh, PCs. What, um, they had a, a rudimentary one on the mainframe, but that was a dirt dumb terminal. You, you call the guy up and he couldn't, pull your record up right away and, 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 and see the details. And, and so the whole help desk industry that went on into India and the Philippines and South America and everything, I got in on the ground floor of that. I didn't make any money off of it, but you know, well, you were, I, still, you were uh, still ahead of your uh, time with all of that, which is pretty amazing. Some of the stuff, you know, your, your experiences. And I, you know, I, I we'll talk later. I know when I met you for the first time and, and heard some of them, I was just uh, pretty uh, blown away and impressed by all the amount of things that you've done in your life. Um, and you mentioned earlier, and obviously the whole thing about not living with fear and, and living courageously kind of feeds into the next thing because, you know, being uh, one of 110 people that have visited every country in the world, Obviously, people who are not courageous don't do that. They don't go on those kind of ventures. And you and you didn't go to just safe countries. You went to countries that uh, probably was not a good idea or was not recommended to go, but you weren't afraid anyway because you've already told us that. Um, but you know, you always had a love of traveling, and you did it in the military. But you also, besides traveling in the military, you took it on after you uh, left the military as well. Tell us about your your journey and then we'll talk about eventually the book that you wrote about a piece of that journey but yeah. it, it's a journey that took you to more countries for those who don't know and i didn't know until you told me it you know there's 193 uh, un countries but there's some additional countries too so you've traveled to every country in the world so take us a little bit on that journey that you yeah. went on yeah well i i've always wanted to travel and that's why i uh, joined the air force rather than than the army or uh, the the navy, I just thought that it would be more efficient to to travel in the air force than than going to sea. Even though navy gets a lot around a lot, but and um, and so I, <clears throat> my wife was um, um, not not a big uh, fan of cruising. And and uh, we finally got her to agree to a cruise in '99, and uh, uh, and then I took up cruising and and in two th and and I had a house 
that my mother had left me that I was having a lot of trouble renting. And, and just before the big, um, uh, right at the, the height of the boom uh, around 2006, seven, I, I sold the house and I, and I told my wife, you know, I'm going to take the profit off of this, uh, this house and use it for travel. We were on a cruise, my first cruise to South Africa, and I'm down the, going down the west coast of Africa, and I'm standing in front of a map, and and the guy stand next to me, and my mother had lived in in Iran for a while with, on a government contract, and I was saying, boy, you know, I'd sure like to get to, to Iran someday, and he says, I just came back from there, and he says, the group that took me there is having a cocktail party tonight. And why don't you come? So they gave me the cabin. I, I found out here was a group of people that wanted to go to every country in the world. And I and they've been ticking them off. And I, so I joined that group. And that gave me the, the mechanism to go. But they were cautious and they wouldn't schedule me to places that were dangerous. And that's where we get the, the name of the book. Is the, the state Before you go to that, what the name of the, the the company that you travel with? What was it, what was their name? Uh, it's called. It was called Advantage Travel okay. and Tours out of uh, in San Diego, uh, Poway actually. And so you went you went on a, a lot of uh, uh, travel with them, but right. then, like you're about to say, so take us further. You're about yeah, to uh, but they but they 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 didn't uh, want to take the risk or the liability of sending me to some of the risky places they did i did go with them to north north korea that was a that's a whole chapter in the book that that was fascinating well you're gonna have to tell us a little bit about that in a minute but you're not the whole yeah. chapter but a little bit <laughs> but keep going where you're going with where, yeah. right yeah. uh but there was um there's a, a organization called the traveler's century club that was founded in santa monica and and the chairman at the time uh it was german and uh he had contacts all over the world so there were the, the the state department gives you four levels of of uh caution when you when you get a visa and and level four is do not travel there and if you go to the state department map they they have these color codes and they have red for countries that they say don't travel there that's why the name of the book but and so um klaus was able to get me into uh like libya i've got a lot of friends in that advantage travel group that have been to 192 countries but they've never been to libya because you can't get a visa to libya he was able to get me a work visa so i went in there theoretically as a worker now what, what year what year this was uh in uh, what uh, 90 uh, uh 2006 or something uh, 2006 and something 13 okay. no it's a little later than that later than uh, that yeah you know and uh uh the same thing that he got me into yemen and and mogadishu in, wow. in 2013 and uh, and those were places that that uh advantage travel wouldn't schedule me in and um, you go in as on a work visa um, with a hope and uh, 
and then you go to those those great ruins and and the tour guides there they haven't had a tourist since since Gaddafi was killed and they just rolled out the red carpet and gave me private tours through all those old Roman places because they're still um, trying to do business with with locals and uh, that was fascinating but but on the way to the airport uh, to leave there there'd been the night before there was a lot of gunfire and and the the guys and we were going by cars burned out he says oh they only killed 32 people last night in the <laughs> in, the, in the firefights <laughs> in, in in libya um, uh, now yeah. of those level four countries and you and you speak about them in the book obviously north korea libya yemen uh what other com uh, countries that are level four that you write about in the book well yeah it, it, and it goes up and down you know there's more on the list now um than there was back then but when you uh, were traveling so, there was a little less yeah. of them gotcha. yeah south sudan um of course iraq we were the first tourists american tourists to go into iraq after the iraqi war wow um, syria jordan uh, iran afghanistan pakistan uh, uh the uh mali uh, got caught in a war in mali um and uh, uh, cuba which is difficult to get into uh and and uh, north korea uh you know so i i had kept a journal and and uh, so people kept asking me questions about those countries and and finally you know, one person says why don't you put a book together on that and so i went in to all my journals so so that first book was pretty easy to do is just taking those journals and editing them and and formatting them into a book and that that book do not travel there is on amazon so anybody who would like to read about uh his uh, ed's adventures in those uh level four countries can read the book and get the book on amazon um do not travel there so yeah so ed um of, of all those countries, like you said, there was obviously danger in all of them of different types. Each place was a little different, each depending on the time, I would imagine. Um, what was maybe some of the more surprising things that you experienced in those countries, you know, that, that you know, be given somebody with your wealth of travel, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, well, Yemen was, was one of the most fascinating. I mean, the... Uh, I don't know how much you know about Yemen, but uh, there, there are these apartment buildings that date back to um, the 15, 13, 14, 15 centuries built on the side of mountains there and that, wow. and that sort of thing. And then they've got uh, Scotia Island. And, and I went out to the island there and ran into a couple of young ladies from Stanford University sweatshirts and said, what are you doing here? And they <laughs> said, this is, we work for the State Department in Washington, D.C. This is the safest place for women to travel in the world. Nobody knows about it. Beautiful beaches. And they just roll out the carpet for, for, for tourists. And there's not that many of us. And, and uh, 
Uh, so that was a big surprise and and uh very safe but the mainland has got all these fighting Uh, i'm in a in a having lunch one day with a tour guide and and the this pickup truck drives in and we're sitting on a balcony on the second floor overlooking the parking lot and the guys have have a gun rack and this pickup truck and they take the guns out of the rack and walk into the restaurant and they sit down and put them on their lap pointing oh, yeah. at me wow and I, I i told my tour guide i said <clears throat> i gotta go to the bathroom <laughs> i left he must have said something to him when i came back they were they were up against the wall next to him but <laughs> that was and and the thing there it, it's surprising in yemen i mean, there's this um narcotic that that is very prominent in in the uh, in that region of the world called cat k a t and a beautiful overlooking the city type of place that you would take your date when you're in high school to park at night you go up there and it's all men up there chewing oh. this cat or smoking oh. this cat and they're all higher than a kite you know oh. you're taking your life in your hands to just drive up there after at sunset uh and that was that, that's a big surprise uh, uh molly uh i'm sitting there in the airport and i'm reading it on my cell phone the new york times you know the u.s isn't going to get involved in this and i'm saying looking out the window and that i see yeah that's it this uh, an air force c-17 from <laughs> And has the state of Washington on the on the, the the tail. You know what do you mean we're not being involved in this this stuff? And the U.S. was for NATO was supplying the NATO guys with with supplies. You know, you know a lot of craziness in the in in traveling in some of these countries. Uh, the uh, uh, South Sudan. Um, had just broken off from Sudan and and uh, and just overrun by NGOs and and uh, contractors and stuff like that. It is it's just nuts. But they wouldn't let us take pictures. You know, wow. we're we're, we're uh, and I was in charge of the group at that particular thing, and <laughs> and they wanted to arrest one of the women with me that just wanted oh. to take a picture of the terminal when we came out of baggage control and just huh. like, hey, here's a picture of the, the name of the city up there over the terminal. And and it and we go to the restaurant that, that uh, Teddy Roosevelt and and his son went to after Roosevelt was president when he was touring Africa. And it was in it, it and he'd spent a night to this place and, and she wanted to take some pictures in there and they 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 about threw us in jail what the hell for you know we didn't you know it's just a lot of little crazy stuff like that well you know it obviously you've lived a life that doesn't get covered in an hour uh, but i'm gonna try and take us through the rest of some of the things you've done for the last 15 minutes we got you know the other besides writing this book which is called do not travel on amazon about you know going to those particular level four countries um, you also wrote a second book. It's also on Amazon, The Making of Mr. Woodstock. And it's a 
a pretty wild um, memoir of a wild time, the 60s. So tell us a little bit about that and yeah. what that was like and what that story is about. Um, and once again, people can get that on Amazon because it's a, 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 a if you want to take a, a visit to the 60s, yeah. this will take you back. Go ahead. Tell us yeah. Yeah. So I I had this crazy brother who was a disciple of uh, Jack Curex. He 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 wanted to live the life on the road. And uh, he uh, <clears throat> uh, was very successful uh, in high school in growing up through high school president of his class all the time and and won awards for for his writing and his uh uh his artwork and and uh went to colgate and and all of a sudden wasn't the big man on the campus and and could not quite handle that and and got got kicked out of colgate and uh joined the marines and uh, uh why the marines you know and finding out that 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 uh, all his his fellow Marines hadn't even gone to college. Most of them hadn't even graduated from high school, and uh, and so he had a rough time in the Marines. When he came back out, he tried to go back to Colgate, went one semester, and 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 uh, uh, couldn't couldn't hack it uh, for some reason that I never got clear. But then. He was uh, working in New York City and and uh, was 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 getting quite a successful career in advertising in in uh, uh, New York City at Madison and got married and had a child and then all of a sudden coming up on my wedding he disappears and when he when we discover him again. He's down in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands, um, living a life of uh, uh, by just doing being a sketch artist, and uh, and so when we discovered that and and went down there to try to talk him into coming back, uh, he disappeared from there and 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 went to Spain, and uh, we didn't know that we didn't know where he was, and uh, uh, I found out from from. Uh, uh, a, a cartoon artist from from Playboy magazine that had his finger on the underground that he was running a bar in Terra Molina, Spain. We contacted him, and he wrote back six months later a roll of toilet paper. I, I could actually get it out for you. Ballpoint pen. It was about that thick. Um, oh folded up and the, the long story is that he got accused of being a drug kingpin but the but he, um the police the local police testified in his behalf that he wasn't the, a seller he was just a user so the judge said uh i'm going to stamp your 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 passport persona non grata now get the hell out of the country and so we brought him back from uh, Spain, uh, and he uh, tried to go straight for about three or four months, and, and fell off again, and ended up in in, in San Francisco the day that uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and 
uh, he ended up living on a houseboat there, meeting a young lady and, and, and uh, getting married. And then uh, a year later, after the first child, he, uh, he, got, he heard about Woodstock needing people to work for the, uh, uh, the concessions there. And he, he, got, uh, he got over to Woodstock and, and, and worked the concessions and then uh, uh, <clears throat> stayed with the, that hippie group uh, for a couple of years. When I went to Vietnam, I, I ran into him in San Francisco and I said, what are you doing here? And he says, ah. they kicked me out of the commune because I couldn't perform. I, and uh, you had to service all the girls in the, the commune. <laughs> and uh, the doctor said, uh, if you get off the drugs and if you get off the liquor, you could probably get an erection again. Huh. And, and, and so he, he joined AA and, and uh, he went back to Woodstock for a reunion of the people that had put it on and just stayed there and became the town character. And when he died, which um, was uh, as a result of a, a, a unfortunate uh, accident, uh, at, the, the, at the funeral, they, they called him Mr. Woodstock. Mr. Woodstock had passed away, and, and that's, so that's the name of the book. Uh, he he was in the Woodstock Times 140 times, and uh, wow. in, in the 10 years that he was in Woodstock. Well, he, here here's two books, two Reynolds brothers. <laughs> a, a boat went on different journeys of, of a very different type. Ain't that the case? I mean, yeah. you you to every country in the world. Him to uh, becoming Mr. Woodstock and traveling his journey in life and. So check out both of those books. Um, I recommend The Making of Mr. Woodstock and Do Not Travel There. And then then Ed, you know, still is doing more stuff. And where I met Ed is uh, right here. There's a thing called a Wings Over Wendy's. Um, yeah. And that's the, the logo, right? And that's established in 2002 at Wendy's Restaurant. So tell us about, because, you know, yeah. last year. Yeah, I so Wings Over Wendy's was... Uh, you know, has has this group that hasn't missed a Monday meeting in 21 years, uh, 20 years, uh, and and we uh, uh, and when I come back from these travels, I would talk to them about about Iraq and North Korea and stuff like that, which I thought was they'd find interesting, and uh, because of my writing uh, those journals, I started helping them with the the newspaper and then the guy that was publishing the newspaper got ill and all of a sudden I'm now the publisher of the newspaper. So I've got the newspaper and I've, and I've got, and, and then the, the guy running the meetings asked me to uh, uh, help out a, a couple of, couple of weeks a, a, a month. And, uh, and so I, I would run the meetings and learn how to meet, run the meetings. And then he passed away. And I'm, I'm now, as I call myself, um, the stucky. It's not a, it, it, it's not a, um, an elected position. We're not a 501C, surprisingly, because nobody wants to be involved in the paperwork that you'd have to go through, uh, keep minutes and register with the state and all that kind of stuff. So I just... Uh, 
so the best title for me is I'm the facilitator. So I make sure that we have a meeting every Monday and uh, I have a, a, a bunch of volunteers that get the coffee and donuts and, 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 uh, and get, get speakers and arrange the speakers. And I got a, a young man that uh, uh, helps me out technically running the zoom hybrid type of it. So it's, uh, uh, uh we, we meet, um, uh, every Monday morning. Uh, and then Tuesday, a smaller group meets uh, with another, uh, and it's not as fancy, and I just attend that. And then we have lunch on Thursdays. And uh, oh, of course, after the meeting on Mondays, we go to Wendy's. So he's happy that we're not meeting there anymore, but we're still giving him the business. <laughs> you know? That's good. Hey, so, now, I think we met at Wendy's, I believe. I think I, I was brought along by a a dear friend, Bob uh, Donovan. And yeah. um, I think that's how I met you, Ed. Uh, and then you invited me to speak a couple of times and I had a chance to speak with the group, which uh, I was honored to do. Um, wh what is the group composed of? You said 20 years of meeting every week. It's not even an yeah. official nonprofit. Who comes? And, and, and yeah. So it started over? as aviation aficionados. And that's a little bit how they came up with the name of Wings Over Wendy's because there's a Air, air shows throughout the United States are always wings over, like locally here, it's wings over Camarillo. Right. And, and so they call themselves wings over. And then um, they they weren't all pilots, uh, but but uh, they were aviation uh, passengers, interested artists, anything to do with aviation. And then it expanded. And then, then it became open to... Uh, it's open to anybody, really. And and some of our most ardent supporters are like widows and and uh, uh, veterans. And now I I say that the theme is is to attack loneliness. And mm. so it's the whole idea is you start the week Monday morning, you go to this meeting, and that gives you uh, and it gets you over, it gets you out of bed for the rest of the week. You know, you can sleep in on the weekends, but Monday morning, get up early, go to Wings Over Wendy's, and that sort of sets the schedule for your week. And and so now we've got uh, we've got guys that have never been in the military, never even flown on airplanes, uh, attending it regularly. You know, it's a camaraderie, uh, a supportive group, and that that's the main thing now some of the things that I, I i was just so impressed by obviously there's so much of, of the group but during the covid period two things happened obviously you you were able to uh pivot to technology and keep everybody together a lot of old people in their 80s 90s and keep them together every monday morning on zoom and you'd have like 75 people all these uh folks you know, on Zoom, having a Zoom conference um, when when things were shut down. And then as soon as you could, you opened back up again and went with a hybrid uh, a version of back, uh, back in real life, seeing each other, and then some people on Zoom as well. So I was impressed by the way you uh, pivoted to do all that. But then I was also impressed by the courage of these, these people who came back out um, and, and came back as soon as they could to be back face to face with each other and to have that. And that says a lot for 
the camaraderie of the group and how important the group is to these folks. But uh, you maybe you want to speak to those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're now open up. Uh, I've got regulars from all over the United States and 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 occasionally uh, from all over the world. Uh, I got uh, two or three that come in from England and uh, uh, that have heard about us. And and uh, uh, <clears throat> and and as an example, one of our members, uh, female, World War Two type turned 100 years old yesterday and uh, they had a big family had a big party for her and and there was probably uh, 20 wings over wendy's people there to support her because she's a regular sits up front every every week um and we just had a, a gentleman that that turned 100 um uh, in june that we had a party for unfortunately his daughter just passed away and mm. And uh, we're going to where she would bring them to the meetings. So we got to figure out how to get them to the meetings again. And, and we've got uh, uh, actors uh, like Jimmy Weldon. that's 99 that comes to the meeting um, has been for for years. He always gives us the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and, and we've got a young high school girl with a beautiful voice. And we recorded her singing the national anthem. And. Uh, and and if you haven't ever seen Jimmy's uh, uh, dedication to the flag that he does, uh, it, it's just one of the most amazing things you could ever see. Uh, yeah. It's such a powerful presentation uh, honoring the flag that. And he's ninety nine years old, I believe, Jimmy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Jimmy, and um, so you can check out Wings Over Wendy's online. Anybody wants to check them out um, and, and uh, take a look at what they're doing, and also, like I said, uh, check out. Uh, Ed Reynolds' uh, books on Amazon, Do Not Travel There, and The Making of Mr. Woodstock. Um, and once again, Ed, I mean, I, I think, you know, we started out with you talking about you being fearless and living courageous. And I just think the reason I wanted you on the show, because ever since I met you, just fascinated by the amount of life you've had, but just the uh, way you've embraced it with humor and, and with um, courageousness and adventurousness. I mean, you are, I think you're a role model for people to, and like you said, with this group, you inspire them to come every mo Monday morning, not be lonely, start their week off, and, and, and you inspire them in that way as too at Wings Over Wendy's. So I'm honored to know you and call you a friend. And, um, you know, I think you're a model for the kind of way people need to live in this world courageously. Um, anything you would like to close out with or say to the people watching it, um, Ed, beyond what I just said? Uh, yeah, them. well, it, 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 yeah, just over. Don't be fearful of things, you know. Look at the facts, and uh, I, I, I was blessed because I, I, I was influenced by a lot of external events that I didn't have control over, which we didn't have time to talk about today. You know, surviving lightning strikes and and uh, winning a car in college and and still owning it uh, and things like that 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 uh, were external to uh, uh, that I had, I didn't volunteer for or anything just happened. And, uh, uh, I, and it's been a pleasure to know, to know you, John. And, and, you know, I, we didn't even mention the fact that I was born in Greenwich village and uh, 
uh, you know, in the right part of New York and not the <laughs> and, and, Unlike and, my part, the South Bronx, I hear you. Right, right. And, and then I'm a Red Sox fan and, and not a Yankee fan. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's better left unsaid for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I really appreciate you uh, inviting me to, to uh, share some of this. Uh, it, it's hard to talk about everything in an hour um it is when you've got it a is. life like well, i have you know especially and, the life you lived you know it's, yeah. it's, it's it's not two books it's not one hour it's uh yeah. it's a lifetime and yeah. you know and and the, the the good thing too for everybody who's watching is ed's still doing uh so much like what wings over wendy's and uh doing all kinds of other events and supporting people and so you know it, it, he's still out there active and you know uh, if that's not a lesson for you, it's like if you're not active and you're not doing stuff, get out there, start doing stuff. You can. You know? Yeah, I got I got two more books now before you publish your first one, so I, I got to write those two. You know, this this is one thing I do. It this is wrong because he's put more pressure on me than is right because he he got his two books done. I'm still working on it. All right, I'm getting there, Ed. I'm getting there. <laughs> Uh, well, but you, you've given me some good uh, inspiration. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm working on getting the first one published, and I may have opened up the door this weekend. So uh, I'll keep you posted, but I'm not sure I can catch up with you. I'll do my best. I'll try. Okay. Well, thank and, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your journey, and thank you for telling people about how they should be uh, fearless and live courageously uh, and keep doing it. And anything I can do to support you, what you do, I will. Just send money. You know. <laughs> yeah, and send stuff into the green room, right? Food and, yeah. and liquor. <laughs> okay. All right. Take care, Ed. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you, everybody uh, who's been watching. Uh, Candace, uh, Maria, Nick, um, Crystal, and you know all the folks who's watched it and will watch it later. Thank you for coming on and checking out uh, the story of... Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ed Reynolds Jr. and his amazing journey in the military, in uh, um, the business world, in uh, writing books about his travel to 192 plus states, uh, countries of the world, and also his work with Wings Over Wendy's. You can check out his books on Amazon, uh, Ed Reynolds Jr. Um, and also you can check out Wings Over Wendy's online. So thank you everybody. Have a fantastic day, and I'll be back on in two hours with my next guest. Um, so join me again. No, two hours. Is it two hours? One hour. Oh, my God. One hour at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, just enough time for me to catch my breath. Have a great day. Take care, and God bless.